In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I should say what may be obvious, but our our choice of that wonderful hymn, Wade in the Water, was made some time ago with no sense of a hurricane. Uh, It is not in any way intended to be in poor taste for those who are faced with torrential waters. Um, We especially pray for the people of Haiti, the people of the coastal United States, and all those who have way too much water. The water in the hymn, of course, refers to the water in that first reading, that amazing story about Naaman, who was told to wade in the water and be healed. It's a story about healing, but it's a story also about thanksgiving. In some ways, that's especially appropriate for today. Uh, Tomorrow in our country is Columbus Day, but in Canada, it's Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving in Canada evidently involves turkey here and there, uh, a double header of Canadian football and a few parades. I don't think it's quite as much a to-do as we make it here, but it's a day nonetheless that was rooted in giving thanks for a good harvest. And so in a mostly post-agricultural culture, it's become a day for giving thanks for all of God's blessings, for Everything we have experienced that comes as gift from God. And so our scriptures today allow us to perhaps celebrate with the Canadians and do a little thanksgiving early. Way back in the 4th century, Ambrose of Milan said, No duty is so urgent as that of returning thanks. No duty is so urgent as that of returning thanks. I love that phrase of returning thanks. We don't hear it all that often in a way. It it almost suggests that thanks comes from somewhere else, that it's on loan to us. It it visits us for a little while, and then we, we give it back. We release it. And so we don't hold on to it too tightly, but when it's time, we, we give thanks back to its source. In reality and in practice, we don't always return thanks, do we? For a variety of reasons, we forget, we misplace thanks, perhaps, or maybe even we squander it a little or pretend it wasn't a gift to start with. Sometimes we're, uh, we're likely to think that we have deserved or earned something and won it fair and square, and so it's ours. We don't need to thank anyone. But no, all is a blessing, isn't it? All is a gift if we really think about it. That first reading from the Old Testament is a wonderful story about Naaman, this mighty military commander who had everything going for him, Except he had a secret. He also had leprosy. Many of you, if you've spent any time in a church at all and heard these stories, uh, whether Old or New Testament, about lepers, you, you recall that to have leprosy was a scary thing. Uh, one who came down with leprosy was proclaimed unclean and cast out, and one had to leave one's home and one's community and live in a special leper colony. It was a kind of quarantine which initially was intended to keep people healthy and keep the sick together so that they could get well, perhaps. But it quickly took on spiritual meaning as well. 
People thought that perhaps lepers got leprosy because they were unclean. And then perhaps began to think, well, maybe God doesn't like them so much too. Maybe they did something to offend God, and that's why they have leprosy. And so it got all confused in terms of being a bad disease, but then with a lot of theological baggage added on. If you understand what it was like in the early 1980s around AIDS and the the fear around how one would contract AIDS and how AIDS was spread, and then loading onto that a lot of fear and ignorance and these assumptions by some that people who had AIDS deserved it or somehow brought it on themselves. Some of you are old enough to remember in the early 20th century the, a similar thing around polio. Why would polio be visited on one family and not another? Uh, perhaps that family had done something wrong that no one knew. It's the way of human nature sometimes to add theological context to something that is purely physical. And so some of that had to have been going on with Naaman. Naaman must have been scared to death that he had leprosy and tried his best not to show it. He's a military man after all. No tears, no whining. And yet he did want healing. And he was willing to do anything to be healed. Well, almost anything. As we heard, Naaman has heard of Elisha, this prophet with healing powers, and so he, he gets what he needs, the, the right pre-authorization of his day, in order to go and visit with Elisha. And so he gets to Elisha's cave, and did you notice what happens? Elisha doesn't come out. He sends an assistant to see him. Imagine going halfway around the world to see the, the world's specialist at something, And the specialist is too busy to see you and only sends out an assistant or a secretary. The servant says, here's what you need to do. Elisha says that you need to go and wash in the river Jordan seven times. That should do the trick. You'll be fine. Thank you very much. You can imagine this great, mighty military commander name, and he's completely insulted. Did he travel all the way to Israel only to be told by a servant to go and wash in the common river? Naaman's angry, he criticizes Elisha, he makes fun of Israel and its rivers, and on and on he goes in an absolute rage, a a kind of tantrum. Had he continued to throw this tantrum, he might have completely missed the opportunity before him. But something made him stop. Maybe he just got exhausted, and so he could listen to one of his assistants, one of his servants. One of his servants had the good sense to pull him aside and said, Naaman... If he had asked you to do something really complicated, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then? Just go and wash in the river and see what happens. Well, we know what happens. Naaman goes to this ordinary river and washes in it, and he's healed. But not only is he healed of leprosy, but it sounds like he might have also been healed from a little bit of his arrogance and pride as well. Naaman goes back to see Elisha, and he's a different man. He makes a statement, a big statement, if it's a statement of faith, a statement of thanks. He says, now that I know there's no God in all the earth except in Israel, your God is God. 
In our gospel, there's also healing. Uh, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and he's approached by not one but ten lepers. They greet him with words that we'll hear again on Palm Sunday, words that recognize Jesus' power to forgive and cleanse. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Those words from lepers are a desperate cry for help. They're from the heart, and they seem to get Jesus' attention. Jesus does an astounding thing with these ten lepers. He responds to them as though they're already healed. Notice that Jesus doesn't send them to special waters. He doesn't ask them to do anything special. He doesn't spit into the dirt and make a potion and put it on them for healing. Instead, Jesus somehow affects the healing in them even as they ask for it, as though their asking somehow is part of the healing. Then Jesus just does the customary thing in his day and sends them to go and show themselves to the temple priests. It's from the temple priests that they'll get their clean bill of health and then can re-enter society and community. So Jesus heals. Jesus heals their disease, but he knows that it'll take a little more for the societal healing to take effect, for the fear and suspicion around leprosy to heal It's a little like when one of us may get well or be healed of something. We're restored to health, and yet friends and family still treat us like we're fragile. Imagine these healed lepers trying to re-enter the community. Jesus knows they need this seal of approval from the temple priest, and so that's why he sends them back. And they all go except for this one. The one comes back and returns thanks. That one cured leper who happens to be a Samaritan, the foreigner, the half-breed, the the one despised by both the Jews and the Gentiles because he didn't fit in in either place. This cured leper is now doubly, if not triply, cured Because he's cured of the disease, but he's also healed from the prejudice and the racism that he's been experiencing. From all the cultural divides that have been heaped on him as an outsider. Perhaps it's because he's a Samaritan that he knows what it's like to be left out, to be overlooked, to be cast out. That he understands the giftedness of blessing, the whole nature of grace, the nature of thanks that sometimes visits us for a little while and gains its life only when it's shared and returned. Christ, after all, was born on the outside, and so he always brings back what's left out in. Today's gospel has been interpreted in numerous ways through the life of the church. Among the disciples in the very early church, there were huge concerns about who was welcome in this community of believers in Jesus. Uh, Certainly those who had been faithful Jews who then followed Jesus, they were part of those gathered together. But what about the newcomers? What about those who had never spent time in the Jewish faith? Could they be full followers? Followers of Jesus. Stories like the healing of the ten lepers showed the early church and reminded them that everyone was welcome, especially the outsider. 
Another interpretation of the story puts it that one of the one leper who returns to give thanks has to do with Jesus' own emphasis on welcoming the foreigner. Over and over again, Jesus steps outside the circle of the familiar and the family and moves toward the one who is from somewhere else. Jesus welcomes that one. In this, there's that reminder that we too should always welcome. Welcome especially the stranger. Welcome especially the one who doesn't seem to fit in, the one who's new. I was reminding people yesterday that our mission house, the first building as a part of our church, was called St. Christopher's House because St. Christopher was believed to be the patron saint of travelers. And what a perfect patron saint for a community of immigrants. It's a vision we continue to try to live into at the Church of the Holy Trinity. And then finally, with stewardship season coming upon us, there's a third interpretation of this story that I I have to include. Notice that it's one out of ten who is healed. It's the tenth. It's the tithe. Now, Episcopalians don't talk much about the tithe, but if you have Baptist friends, just ask them how many sermons they hear about the importance of giving a tenth of all that one has back to the church, of tithing. It is important, it is central in faith, not because it's a law or a requirement, but because of all that it, that it loosens up, all that it frees, all that it brings in terms of blessing and joy and generosity. One of the ten returns to Jesus, and it's a reminder that we too will know that kind of joy and celebration if we move toward being able to return a tenth of all that we are and all that we have back to God. However, we might hear this gospel speaking to us today. These these scriptures all work together to help us think about the grace that God gives us. How have we experienced God's grace in our life over the years, this week, this day? What might it look like for us to return thanks to God, to return thanks and share it with other people? In the collect of the day, that prayer we began our worship with today, we've prayed that God's grace might always precede and follow us, making us continually given to good works. Notice the order of those words in the prayer. It's not our works that produce the grace. We don't create it. It's not our works that even provide the right setting or opportunity for grace. But grace comes first. Grace from God. God's free and unmerited gift of grace that allows us, that empowers us to do good and faithful work in the world. It's God's grace that comes before, during, and after all that we might do or imagine. But it's always and everywhere God's grace and not ours to hang on to. And so the Spirit helps us to live lightly in a state of grace and to return it. With those in today's scriptures, we can pray for God's healing. For disease and ailment of any kind, we can pray for God's healing of all creation, especially where it's broken or wasted or in trouble. We can pray for God's healing of racial and ethnic and cultural divides, especially in our own country. But let us also pray for God's spirit to help us to return thanks and to live lightly with grateful hearts.
In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.